I had no intention of doing this. People always ask me, oh, where did you train, Pastor Mark? I said, train? You have to train for this? <laughs> Welcome to Church of the Rock from Winnipeg. Stay tuned to this week's thought-provoking message from Pastor Mark Hughes. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to conclude the little mini-series I started called Great Big God. And in week one we talked about the incommunicable attributes of God. And what those are, are the things that he kept to himself that he did not communicate or share with us. And they are omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence. And that is his all-knowing, his all-presence, and his all-powerful. And because he is those things, and none of us are, that makes him sovereign in the universe. And so today we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God. And I think of all the doctrines, I think we actually struggle more with sovereignty than any other thing. That God created all things, directs all things, owns all things. That he will have the final word in all things. The scripture says this, he has made his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Do you know what that word all means in the original language? All. It means all. Aren't you glad you come to church and learn stuff like this? I mean, you can't just learn stuff like this anywhere, can you? And so God is sovereign in the universe, and he's in control of all things. And we struggle with that because sometimes we don't think he's in control of all things. Now, I want to give you the definition of sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, from what is called the Westminster Confession. It was 1642. The church came up with a definition of sovereignty. Here it is. I'll throw it on the screen. And it is God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So that, in other words, means that every single thing that happens in the universe, in your life, in history, God has ordained whatsoever to come to pass. Now, if that is too archaic of a definition for you, let me give you something a little more contemporary. How many remember Yago from Disney's Aladdin? Remember the angry parrot played by Gilbert Godfrey? Remember this guy? Doesn't anybody care what the brave parrot wants to do? He was always mad and always screaming and stuff. And anyway, in the second one, The Return of Jafar, he says this. Reality check, Jafar is large and in charge. And that's my definition of sovereignty. That God is large and in charge. There is nothing in this universe that he is not intimately involved with. Everything in the universe, God is causing each and everything to unfold. Everything in your life, everything around you, God is absolutely got his hands and his fingers in it. Even though you don't know it, even though you don't realize it, even though sometimes it doesn't look like it, that's what's happening. So we're going to look at the sovereignty of God today and we're going to look at three things. Number one, God is sovereign over every outcome. Number two, God is sovereign over every evil. This one's going to surprise you. And number three, God is sovereign over every blunder. God is sovereign over every outcome. Everything that happens in this world, God actually has orchestrated that. 
And I know that's sort of hard for us to understand, but in, in spite of your great attempts to screw up your life, guess what? God will always have his way in the end. And I'm going to show you a little verse here, and it's a powerful verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, and this is what it says. Listen carefully. To him also we have ordained, or obtained rather, an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I mean, I think this word makes us nervous, doesn't it? Predestined. The fact that it says that he has, has uh, ordained all things that come to pass to be so, and that he has predestined your life. And we think, are you telling me that I'm just a puppet on a string? Are you telling me that I have no free will? Well, let me just clear that up. You do have a free will, and I will prove it to you. All you have to do is think of all the bad decisions you've made in life that nobody stopped you from making, and then you know you have free will, right? And you look back at those things. Don't you dare blame God for those. Those were your mistakes. Yet somehow, in the midst of that, God has still predestined and preordained your life. How can that possibly work? Well, let me start with a bit of an analogy. I'm going to give you an illustration to help you understand sovereignty. And I think this is the best one I can give you, and, it's, and, and the best definition of sovereignty is this, parenthood. See, when you became a parent, you were sovereign. Do you remember that? You created your children. That was the first, that was the, you know, the first part and the funnest. Kind of goes downhill from there. But anyway, you created <laughs> those children, and you were sovereign over every aspect of their life. Think about it. You gave them their name, right? They didn't choose it. You gave them their name. They, you told them where they were going to live. You told them what room in the house they were going to live in, right? You told them, uh, you know, what they were going to have for breakfast, what they were going to wear. You told them what school they were going to go to. I mean, you were sovereign, at least for a while, right? And, I mean, you were orchestrating their life, and you had con total control over these kids. But there came a point in their lives where they started to take credit for it. And to take ownership for it. And you all have heard these words come out of their mouth. Get out of my room. You're sitting in my chair. Don't eat my cereal. All of a sudden they had become possessive. And all of a sudden these things were all theirs. And they somehow were responsible for these things. Understand this. That we actually are not a whole lot different than that. What happens is God is sovereign in our lives. He put us into this earth. Every one of us. He knew us from before we were in our mother's womb, and yet we come to the point where we start to take credit for it. Now, here's where we struggle with this predestination thing. If God has predestined me for whatever, for my life and my path in life, then how can I have free will? And for 2,000 years of Christianity, we have been debating that very point. Do we have predestination? Are we foreordained? Or do we have free will? And people say you can't have both. You have to have one or the other. To which I say, why? Why do we have to choose? Why can't we have both of these things at once? Next thing you're going to start telling me is that God can't be three persons in one God. Guess what? Newsflash, God's ways are above your ways. And his thoughts are above your thoughts. And don't think that you can limit God and put him into some little box because you don't understand it. And see, what happens when you look at it theologically, is we have this thing called dynamic tension. And dynamic tension is when you have two opposing truths that somehow don't contradict each other, but are held together in a dynamic tension or, or a balance. I'll give you an example you all understand from this, and it's mercy and justice. 
You see, the scripture tells us that God is all merciful, right? His mercy endureth forever. I mean, he's all merciful, 100% mercy. But it says that God is just. And somehow God is able to hold in dynamic tension mercy and justice. The same way he is able to hold in dynamic tension predestination and free will. And so we're going to work with this a little bit because I know, I know you're struggling with this and you're, going, you're, going to, you're saying this doesn't totally make sense to me. How can two things that are so opposing be held together? How can I have free will and how can I have predestination? And i got a little verse for you. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. This is what it is. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. This is what it says. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Did you catch that? He who he foreknew, he also predestined. See, remember, because God is omniscient, he knows everything you're going to choose. He knows what you're going to choose before you know what you're going to choose. And because he knows what's going to happen in history, then somehow he is able to say, this is what is going to happen, and it's unchangeable because he already knows what's going to happen. You say, I don't get it. I don't expect you to get it. You say, you're not explaining it very well. I don't expect to explain it well. I'm just saying that's just the way it is. There are these two things together. And so we've wrestled with it. Trust me, theologians, theologians rather, they have wrestled with this and they said, we don't get it. And we have taken positions. Well, I either have free will and I can decide whether to go to heaven or God predestined some to go to heaven and be elected and some to be reprobated and we have no choice. That's called Calvinism. Well, I think Matthew Henry said it better than anybody else. And this is what he said. He said, when you get to heaven, you're going to see a great big sign, a great big gate or, or sign over the gates of heaven. And it's going to say, whosoever will enter. And you're going to walk through those gates on your own free will. But then you're going to turn around on the backside of the sign. It's going to say, chosen from the foundation of the earth. And so predestination and free will working together. See, how does that work in your life? If God is sovereign over every outcome, he gives you the right to make whatever decisions you want to make. He does. And uh, you can make good decisions. You can make bad decisions. Guess what? At the end of the day, he's going to have his will because he is sovereign. And he's going to do what he has to do. And this is what it says, Proverbs 16, verse 9. It says that a man plans his way in his heart, but the Lord directs his steps. I have a good friend, uh, Pastor Ron McLean, at Gateway Church on the other side of town. And he has an expression I just love. I've heard from him many times. And he's one of the most praying men that I know. And when they go through a difficult time, or he personally goes through a difficult time, he uses this expression. Or maybe something didn't play out the way he'd hoped. Something didn't happen the way he had planned in his life. Have, have any of you ever had that happen? Like, is it just me? Am I the only one? Anybody else ever had that happen? Like 10 of you, really. Yeah, super. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, the rest of you. We've all had that happen. You had a plan. You had an expectation. And it didn't happen that way. And I remember a number of years ago, Ron had something really difficult happen in his church. And I said to him, what are you going to do? This was his answer. I love it. He said, I'm going to take a big dose of the sovereignty of God. And what he meant was, I can't change this. I can't control it. I can't make anything happen. And I'm just going to take a big dose of the sovereignty of God and believe that God has got everything in his hand and that God is going to work it out and God will have his outcome the way he wants to. And I got news for you. It will always work out the way God has intended because God is large and in charge. You can cheer. I'm going to tell you a story about this. In, 
in the 1700s, there was a poet by the name of William Cowper. And uh, he, was, he struggled immensely with depression. I think it's because he was a poet, but that's just me. <laughs> you know, if I had to sit around all day and, and write poetry, I'd be depressed too. But anyway, that may or may not have been the cause. Anyway, uh, it's 1772. He's, he's in his, his flat in, in London. He's tragically and desperately depressed, and he knows what he needs to do. He puts on his coat, and he goes out the front door, and he goes into the London night, which was one of those nights that was so foggy you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. In fact, he had to feel his way down to the street, and then he laid his hand on the iron horse head hitching post out in front of his flat on the street. And he knew that there was always a horse-drawn car carriage waiting there for a fare. And he got into the, to the cab, and he said, to the Thames, sir. And his intention was to go to the Thames River and to throw himself in and take his life that night. And so the horse-drawn carriage clip-clopped through the darkness and the fog for not 15 minutes like it should have taken to get to the Thames, but for half an hour. And finally, the driver said, I'm not going to be able to find it in this fog. And so Cowper, he paid the fare, and he got out, and he said, I'll walk the rest of the way. And so he thought it was in this general direction, and he started walking in that general direction. And after an hour and a half groping through the darkness, he had no idea where he was and hopelessly lost as he groped through the darkness and the fog. And then his hand hit a familiar object, and it was the iron horse head hitching post right in front of his flat. And God had led him right back to his home. He went into his house, and he lit a lantern, and he sat down, and he wrote the most famous of all his hymns, which were many that came after that. And it goes like this. I'm sure you'll recognize it. He moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He sets his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. These clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. God will turn around every situation if you allow him to do because the scripture says all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's the God that we serve. He's large and in charge. Actually, the question people often ask me, they say, how'd you end up in the ministry? Well, today you're going to find out because I actually didn't choose it. It kind of chose me. Here's the story. I was a uh, actually an agricultural grad from the University of, of Manitoba. And after I got married, it was 24 years old. Uh, we had lived outside of the city. We'd moved back to the city. And we thought we would start anew and afresh, and I would get a new career. And uh, Kathy would get a new career, and we would start this new life together. And so, you know, I had graduated at the top of my class. And this is going to come as a huge surprise to you. But I was not a humble man. <laughs> and I was just brimming with confidence. And as most people, this is what most people do if they were looking for a job. They would, you know, fill out resumes and job applications. They would go to personnel departments. That's not what I did. I phoned presidents of companies and asked for appointments. <laughs> and some of these, you know, who knows why they, they did it, but some of them I got through the door. And so here's one particular story. I had got an appointment with the president of Pioneer Grain, which was based in Winnipeg on the 29th floor of the Richardson Building. 
And I went up those elevators, and I was all brimming with confidence and ready for a position, and sat down with the president in his great office with his 12-foot oak desk and the windows overlooking the whole city. And I sat down across from him, to which he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I've come for a job. And he said, and what would you do for us? And I said, remember brimming with confidence, lack of humility? I said, whatever you need me to do. <laughs> now, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, vice president. He's the president. I don't want his job. But vice president. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. And he says, what do you do now? I said, nothing. I'm unemployed. <laughs> he says, what does your wife do? I said, nothing. She's unemployed. And then he says, you really need a job, don't you? And I said, yes, sir. I'm on, getting somewhere now. I said, yes, sir, I really need a job. And so then he took his business card, and he wrote something on the back, and he slipped it across to me, and he said, I understand they're looking for people in the maintenance department of this building, and if you head down to the basement, maybe someone can help you there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine there I am on the 29th floor? Probably going to get the corner office. He's sending me to the basement. <laughs> Isn't there some verse about this? About he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be what? Abased, which is something worse than being humbled. And that's what I was that day. I was abased, and I did not go to the basement. I went to the main floor, and I got my car, and I went home with my tail between my legs. And I thought, that didn't work out like I had hoped. And so day after day, I got up every morning, and day after day I went to look for a job at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, at 4 o'clock I came back, and this happened day after day, and my discouragement was getting bigger and bigger as I realized that I wasn't going to start at the top, and it didn't look like I was even going to start in the middle or perhaps at the bottom. <laughs> and then one day I told Kathy I was going out to look for a job, and I got in the car and off I went, and I was driving down this street where this Bible school was where some friends of mine were going to Bible school. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do today, so maybe I'm just going to go see my friends. And so I pulled in, and I went in, and they were at cl in class, and I went down and sat down. There I was sitting in Bible school, and I felt like I heard the still, small voice of the Lord said, okay, now I got you where I want you. And it was in that moment, that day, I signed up for Bible school, and the rest, as they say, is history. I had no intention of doing this. People always ask me, oh, where did you train, Pastor Mark? I said, train? You have to train for this? <laughs> but, you know, that's how it works. I mean, a, a man plans his way in his heart, but the Lord directs his steps. I had no intention of being here today, but somehow, someway, in God's sovereignty, he predestined and preordained that I would be here and you would be there. I pity you. <laughs> So the first thing is this, that God is sovereign over every outcome. Second thing is this, that he's sovereign over every evil. You know what, I think this is probably the one that we, that we struggle with more than anything else when we talk about the sovereignty of God. Because how can a good God allow evil in the world? Isn't that the question? Isn't this a great stumbling block that people you know that don't know Christ, this is a the thing they struggle with more than anything else. They think, well, if there's a God and he's a good God, why is there so much evil in the world? And understand this that God could go and flick evil from the planet, flick it from the universe if he wanted. So the question is, does evil exist because God allows it to? And the answer, whether you like it or not, is yes. And let me show you something. It's from Proverbs chapter 16. 
And this is what it says, verse 4. The Lord has made all things for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Some translations say for the day of destruction. And so that tells us that everything in the universe God has created for his, for his purposes, including the wicked. You say, why would he allow wicked? Well, here's the thing. It's hard for us to understand why he would need it and why he would want it. This is one of these mysteries. When I say that his ways are above your ways and his thoughts are above your thoughts, you're never going to totally figure this out, but you do have to accept it by faith that this is how God runs things. And you can get some, some little snapshots of why it would make sense. And I'll give you one of them. It's from the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel we find someone come along, one of the most wicked people of all history, and his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you look at him, he was a very vile, a very wicked, very self-centered person. And he came into this scene, but you know what the scripture calls him? The Bible says, my servant Nebuchadnezzar, whom I have sent to punish you. He referred to Nebuchadnezzar, this evil man, as his servant doing his will. And you say, why? Why would, why would he need that? Why would he do that? Why would he use that? Well, it's a bit of a longer story, but let me give you the short version of it. You see, one of the things the Jews were supposed to do was to honor the Sabbath day and the Sabbath year. And they were to have six years of, of crop, and on the seventh year they would leave the land fallow, and it would be a Sabbath year. And that was what God told them to do. It was a command. And if you go read the history of Israel before Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem and took them captive... For exactly 70 years, this is what you discover, that they went 490 years without giving the land a Sabbath rest. Now do the math. What is one-seventh of one of 490? It is 70 years. Exactly 70 years, God said, you owe me 70 years, and I'm going to take it back, and I'm going to use my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, to do it. You say, that seems so extreme. Well, maybe it does, but that's what God did. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Did Nebuchadnezzar prevail in the end? He did not. God humbled him. God brought him down. God abased him. You see, God will always bring them to doom. I want to ask you a question. Nebuchadnezzar didn't prevail. Did Hitler prevail? Did Muammar Gaddafi prevail in Libya? Did Osama bin Laden prevail? Did Saddam Hussein prevail? Did Mussolini prevail? I could give you name after name after name after name. But we always know that God will bring them down because God rules over all. You see, God is large and in charge. You should give the Lord a shout during that. So God is sovereign over every outcome. God is sovereign over every evil. And the last and the final thing is this, is that God is sovereign over every blunder. Now, we always think that if we make these mistakes in life, that they are fatal mistakes, and there's nothing God can do with them. And i got news for you. This is the great thing about the sovereignty of God, is he will take your mistakes, and he will make them into uh, something good. And that there, are, there is no such thing as fate. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as luck. There's really no such thing as, as an accident, really. And it's sort of interesting, when you look at accidents in life, and they seem horrible, and they seem terrible, and they seem tragic, and I understand that, and, when they, and it feels like we make blunders that, that can't possibly be fixed. But it's interesting how, because God is sovereign, he uses all these things for his greater glory and for his greater good. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, and uh, they might be a little challenge for some of you younger people, but we're going to try anyway. And you, t you tell me who these people are. 
On this picture here, who are these two people? Someone tell me. Charlie McCarthy, he's the short one. And, and Edgar Bergen, he's the tall one. And uh, of course, this is one of history's most famous ventriloquists. And when Edgar Bergen was a young man, he was reading a magazine, he was totally into photography. And he wanted to be a photographer, and there was a, an advertisement for a book on photography, and so he sent in a check, and he ordered the book on photography, and instead a book on ventriloquism came. <laughs> and as they say, the rest is history. Let me show you another picture. Tell me what this painting is. What is it? This is Whistler's mother. You know why it's called Whistler's mother? Because it was Whistler's mother. And uh, the painter was James Whistler, and he was one of the greatest American painters of his time. And he painted this picture of his mother. It, it, it's an incredibly valuable uh, painting called Whistler's Mother. But here's the thing. He had no intention of ever being a painter. He wanted to be in the Army, and he went to West Point. But he failed his chemistry exam, and he got kicked out of West Point. And uh, after he became a painter, this is what he used to say. He said, if silicon had been a gas, I'd be a major general and not an artist. And uh, you know, this is what happens in life. We make mistakes, and these mistakes are somehow taken and used and for God's greater glory. How many of you remember, uh, and it's not that long ago, I'm getting a little more current here, uh, a guy on PBS who does the paint-alongs called Bob Ross. Anybody know Bob Ross? And Bob Ross is famous. How many of you like Bob Ross? Few of you like Bob Ross, and, and here's his famous quote. He says this, there are no mistakes, just happy little accidents. And if you ever watch him paint, he's always like super low-keyed, and he's painting along, and, he, and a blob goes on the canvas, and he goes, oh, that's not a mistake, that's a happy little accident, and I make it into a happy little tree. And he just makes happy little trees. And any blob can become a happy little tree. You, you've all seen that, you know what I'm talking about? And it's amazing, it, and he is basically... Bob Ross is sovereign over that canvas. And it doesn't matter what happens on that canvas, he can just turn an accident into, or a mistake into a happy little accident, into a happy little tree. And so one day I decided I was going to paint along with him. And so here, here's what he painted. Uh, he painted this. It was a beautiful brook with some trees. And I know there's no mistakes, just happy accidents. Here's my happy accident right here. I nailed it. Here's, <laughs> I don't know about you, but... Those don't look like happy trees, <laughs> do they? And so we make mistakes in life, people. We make blunders in life. Tragedies happen in life. Injustices happen in life. But here's what we need to understand. Either God's sovereign or he's not. And if God is sovereign, he'll turn whatever we mess up into good. And here's what I'm going to close to today with the, the story of David and Bathsheba. David's biggest blunder, clearly Bathsheba, Right? I mean, what a humongous mistake. He commits uh, adultery with this young wife of Uriah, one of his captains. And then, of course, if that weren't bad enough, then he goes and gets her pregnant. And then if that weren't bad enough, he conspires to cover the whole thing up. And when he can't cover the th whole thing up, what does he do? He sends Uriah to the front, and he gets, he gets killed in the front. And basically, he was responsible for his murder. And then he takes this young woman to become his wife. And when you look at that, you think, my goodness... And let, let me ask you a question. Was, was that God's fault? That was not God's fault. Was that God's will for David's life? That was not God's will. Was it God's plan? And the answer is maybe. Maybe to that one. Because all you have to do is, is go and follow the rest of the story. Because they had a child, and their first child died. The male child, first one died. But they had four more 
four more kids together. And the second youngest and the youngest were Solomon and Nathan. And of course, Solomon became the king over Israel. And if you were to go read the genealogy of Jesus, there's two of them, one in Luke and, and one in Matthew. And if you go read those genealogies, you find out that Joseph, the supposed father of Jesus, was a direct descendant of Solomon. And you find out that Mary, the biological mother of Jesus, was a direct descendant of Nathan. In other words, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, came into being as a direct result of an adulterous and murderous affair. Was it God's will? No. Was it God's plan? Absolutely, because God's uh, sovereign in the world, and he takes your biggest mistakes and your blunders. And you see, the reason I tell you this is because there's some of you sitting here, and you think, no, Pastor Mark, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done, because I know my God is large and in charge, and he'll take whatever you've done, and he will weave it around to good, because he said, my, my God will cause all things to work together for good. Not all good things, all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He is sovereign over every outcome. He is sovereign over every evil. He's sovereign over every mistake you make. He will take it and weave it into his plan. Why? Because he is large and in charge and if God be for you, who can be against you? And greater is he who is in you than he that it is in the world. Church of the Rock has services every Sunday at 1397 Buffalo Place, and we invite you to join us when you're in the Winnipeg area. If you'd like a booklet to help you understand more about God's gift of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ, please contact us, and we'd be happy to send you a free copy of the Book of Hope. Visit our website at www.churchoftherock.ca. Thank you for watching, and God bless you.